We're having a second week looking at a passage that we also looked at last week. We're coming at a slightly different angle today uh, from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 6. You can find it in a Bible or you can look at it on the screen. Shall we stand and uh, read these words together? And if you prefer to like absorb them, feel free. But um, if not, let's, uh, let's, yeah, let's read scripture, have it in our mouths and in our hearts together. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do, do take a seat. Um, let me get you up to speed with where we were at and why, um, why we're looking at this passage and this theme over the coming week. As Toby said, our theme for this whole term is everyone gets to play. Um, it's about the invitation that God gives us to be active participants in, his, in his, uh, the creation that he's made and he is remaking the, the newness that he's bringing to this creation, how he invites us to be part of his kingdom work. And last week, um, we kicked off by recalling, uh, within, this, within this calling to the royal priesthood, uh, we kicked off by recalling that as followers of Jesus, we receive an identity before we've, got anything, before we've done anything to live it out. It's like somebody being given a business card on the first day of their new job. They haven't done anything yet, but already it says who they're, who they're called to be, who they're declared to be. Uh, and we are declared to be, on the business cards we get given the first day of our new job, um, it says royal priest kingdom of priests. Humanity received this vocation, received this calling from the very beginning of time. As human beings, we are called to image God. As Jonathan said, we, we can see the image, God, image of God in one another because that is something that we as, as humans are called to be and to do, uh, to image God to the world, embodying his presence and his rule for the whole of creation. But the Bible showcases again and again how humans do at living out this call. And this is something some of you might remember. Do humans do a good job at living it out or are they chocolate teapots? Chocolate teapots. Chocolate teapot levels of uselessness in living out the kingdom of the call to be kingdoms of priests. Kings a kingdom of priests. So throughout the Old Testament, there's this increasing longing, like why what human beings are failing in this calling. They're chocolate teapots, but the longing persists because God has put it in us, because God has created us to live out this vocation. We're called to embody his presence to the whole of creation. What's coming? What's coming? And we see that Jesus is the only one who lives this foundational vocation, the vocation to be human beings. He's the one that lives it out. The only one human who lived a really fully human life, unencumbered by sin, uncorrupted by 
by by the by yeah by the sinful urges which are, which we're all subject to. So in, so it's in Jesus that we get to live this vocation to be human, to be royal priests, to image God, to creation, and. Because we want to, and where we want to grow in this vocation, we want to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, uh, our, our master. We want to uh, be disciples to Jesus, our rabbi. That was kind of where we were at last week. And again, anyone here last week, I used a kind of shorthand to, to talk about these two aspects of being a royal priesthood, royal and priesthood. Let's see if anybody remembers. Royal is about... <laughs> okay, let's see if we've got... Priesthood is about... Presence! Priesthood is about presence. Royal is about rule. Not rules, but rule. Priesthood is about the presence of God in creation. Rule, uh, royal is about the rule of God in creation. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the royal part of our, um, of our vocation, of our um, core. Um, royals don't have a brilliant reputation today. Maybe, maybe some of you are big royal fans, but I think often they have, uh, they've got quite a negative reputation. It's interesting how some royal wo- words do still carry kind of a sense of aspiration. Um, I don't know if you uh, saw on social media, I think when um, uh, the, those who took the penalty at the semifinals of the Euro, uh, the Euro, Euro Championships, um, there was like this social media thing going around calling the three kings. Do you see that? So kings is kind of used as this aspirational good thing. But there's this sort of ambiguity that we're not necessarily convinced that royals do a great job. Um, and in one, uh, and, and that's no change since the Bible. Kings come off very badly uh, from the Bible's report of them. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, there's, this, uh, there's this warning that God gives the people of Israel. The people of Israel are saying, we want a king to be like every other nation, to lead us into battle. That's what we need. And God's like, here's what will happen if I give you a king. He's going to take your men and send them to war. He's going to take your women and they're going to be um, confined to, uh, to places of, uh, they're going to be enslaved uh, to, to the kitchen and to beauty parlors. Literally does say this, not making it up. Um, and he says, he says, this is what will happen if you become kings. This is what will be happen if you worship, if you, if you bow down to anyone but me. That's what the king will do, just telling you. But they say, we want a king. And, they, and um, uh, God says, okay, well, don't say I didn't warn you. And um, they get a king. And uh, yeah, long story short, it doesn't work out well. So this on our business cards, being royal priests, I wonder if that makes us, might make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Like, do we really want to be seen as royal? Is that a bit like, makes us shift in our seat a bit uncomfortably? Now we're going to watch a Bible project video again. Um, it's a little bit of a longer one than we watched last week. And it's really because, because it is longer. Um, and I thought, you know, should I just try and put some of this into my own words? But the truth is, everything that I would want to say is in this video. And it's better said than I would say. And it's got cartoons. So I thought we'd have the longer video. And then we'll come and, and we'll explore today uh, what does this mean for ourselves. So the video is going to give us like the whole big chunky background. And then we're going to explore, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? So over to the Bible Project now to give us a bit of a, a background. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel... 
they didn't view their kings as the god. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So 
Practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new, uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. Thanks for watching this channel. Bible Project are great. So they're just about to say who they were and that we should support them. So that's a good idea. We should support them. Um, so if you don't already, Bible Project. Um, so I wanted to ask, this is going to be one of those awkward things where potentially there's going to be some silence, but I'm going to um, invite you to, ha to just let me know what, um, what kind of reactions do you have to the idea of having this sort of rule and authority given you by Jesus to kind of be, yeah, to be ruling, to have some kind of ruling in the world, both now and in the future. What, what gut reactions does that give anyone? Bit scary. Thanks, Toby. Thanks for kicking off. I know what you mean. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, interested. You feel like interesting. You feel like you've wasted an opportunity. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Ruth. Madeline. Feels good. Good comes out on top. Yeah, because we're we're we get to have this authority, not because of anything good that we've done, but because we follow a good king. Yeah, thank you. Great. Anything else? Any other reactions? Anne. Yeah, a sense of sort of responsibility. I know what you mean. I, I, I think that's kind of a good challenge, right? That we're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to take something on for myself. For me, it feels, um, uh, like as I think about this concept of being a royal priest, I feel this equal sense of being kind of daunted in the sense of, you know, I don't have the capacity for this, but also excited. I think it testifies to who God is, that he asks us to take this responsibility. He, he challenges us that, yeah, I want you to be part of my good project. God has, um, uh, God, is, God is love and his love for his creatures, those that he created, um, is such that he wants, he wants to involve us. Uh, the, the Genesis 1 passage that we were reminded of has got this pulse running through it as God does his work of creation. It says, it is good, it is good. God is loving and he's taking joy in his creation and he wants us to have a share in the joy of his recreation. Not just in the Sabbath rest at the end, but in the, the joy in the, in the work that God, that God does. I think it speaks of his love that he invites us to be involved. And it speaks of the, um, the, honor, the honorable place that he gives human beings that he asks us to take this kind of honored responsibility he uh, the psalmist says you know he set us a little lower than the angels we don't have any right to that privilege by anything we've done but because of who we are that's who god has made us to be what a privilege um, the video said that the work mentioned in the in the bible is gardening which you know as someone who 
goes for the, the lockdown cliche of just loving the natural world and loving the role that I can play with the natural world. But it might not necessarily speak to all of us. And they said this helpful thing about um, being part of the rule of God is about taking the world forward, going somewhere with a human project and gave some examples of that. We're going to look at that uh, with one another in just a bit. So ruling can look like very obvious ways of ruling, like leading a company or leading a department or leading a sports team or, or a school, uh, leading a, you know, an organisation or a club. Um, but there are other ways which I think can be even more powerful, ways in which we can take the world somewhere and ways in which we can exercise this kind of uh, calling that we have to rule. Think about some of the people who have influenced you. Some of them might be people who have formal positions of influence. Maybe be teachers or bosses or uh, people who've, you know, in the public sphere. But I'm willing to bet that every one of us could speak of somebody who's influenced us, who doesn't necessarily have a public um, profile. A friend or a family member who just by the way that they've chosen to live their lives, the decisions that they've made, have made an influence on our lives. A friend of mine was recently telling me about her workplace um, uh, it's a culture that she said had become very sweary in a way that she wasn't very comfortable with. There was lots of swearing going on. Oh, she wasn't really quite sure what to do about this. Uh, she doesn't have like a, she's not the boss of the, of the, of the, um, the department. So she just started to pray about it. Like, God, like, this is just making me uncomfortable. I don't, don't like to be in this environment. I don't really want these words in my head. So she just started to pray about the, this, this office environment. Um, And it wasn't very much time until her boss, who was one of the sweariest ones, um, said to the team, you know what, we've all got a bit, you know, our language is a bit uncomfortable around here. We're going to start a swear jar in our department. So she put a swear jar out and everybody comes, every time someone swore they had to put 20p in the jar. And it wasn't long before that, but it started to influence the culture of the, the office so that people started to be just a bit more aware about the language that they used and wanted to use to build up rather than to tear down. They wanted to use it to encourage uh, rather than, to, um, rather than to, uh, set, to, to divide. So my friend hadn't actually done anything in that conversation, in that, in that environment, other than pray and herself to use language in a way which honoured and which sought to build up and sought to encourage. She wasn't kind of a stamping her feet kind of ruler, but she was actually ruling in a way. Do you see what I mean? She was kind of influencing a culture. She was taking a stand in a culture in a way which made a significant difference. People noticed something about the way that my friend conducted herself, about the way that she spoke in that environment, and she got to, to, to influence people, and they asked her about, you know, where does this come from? And she got to share with them uh, about her faith, about who Jesus is. Uh, that was a, a way in which she was gently exercising a certain kind of influence. Some of us are called to have specific public roles, either now or in the future. But I think all of us are called to be, like my friend, a temperature setter rather than a temperature follower. You know how a thermostat in a, in a house, you set it to the temperature that you want, to, you want the house to be heated to. That sets the temperature. A thermometer just measures it. And we can be rulers by setting a temperature, by being uh, thermostats by, rather than being temp- thermometers that reflect the temperature. We can set it. Sometimes that's in an assertive way. But sometimes it's just in a gentle way by carrying the presence of God, by carrying the rule of God in our own lives, we influence the culture that, that's around us. The same can be true for like a gossipy culture among friends. We can just choose gently not to participate, to take conversations in different directions. 
We can um, take conversations that objectify other people and say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that. Let's, let's talk about something different or in a different way. So being a ruler can set a temperature of encouragement, can set a temperature of expectation here in church, coming with expectation that God is ready to move and I'm ready to get involved with it. I'm ready to join in with praying, with worshipping, with, with asking for the presence of God to be more richly alive in one another's lives. In a way, I've heard this described as ruling yourself, ruling ourselves. If we're ruling ourselves rather than being influenced by, by other pulls on our, time, on, our, on our character, on our personality. It puts a bit too much pressure on our faulty humanity to think that that's our best hope to rule ourselves, that we're leading ourselves. We're not, we're not capable of doing that well. I know for myself, if I just went with my own desires, I'd be all over the place. We can set the temperature insofar as our temperature is set by Jesus, by the one called to be fully human. There's a risk when you talk about all this sort of thing that this could sound like not by rule, but by the, the, it could sound not like, not like the rule of God, but, by, but like rules that God has given us to live by. And that could stand like we're kind of, we have to tick several boxes to be, uh, to be invited into the kingdom. I don't think that's what this is about. It's like being ruled by a ruler uh, that measures a straight line. God has given us, um, God, God has given us uh, paths to walk on. He's given us a rule to, um, to set our lives by. He's shown us in Jesus the perfect way of being a human being so that we can come alongside him, we can confess where we've got it wrong, and we can look to him to set, ourselves, set our compass again, to set our temperature again. And I, for me, uh, the things that, that help me to try and do this um, are just practices of daily engagement with Jesus. Um, I think particularly for me at the end of a day, asking God, how, how did I let you lead me today? Where did I see you at work and where was I cooperating with you? And asking the Holy Spirit just to reveal that to me. Um, and then also saying, Lord, where did I resist your rule? Where did I go away from the way that you were leading me? And when I do that in the, in, the, in the certainty that God loves me and he wants the best for me, so that when he reveals something that is about that was me wandering away from God's rule, it's just a way of me going, Lord, I, um, I, don't, want to pe- I don't want that to be a part of how I, wo- how, how I go about life. Could you forgive me? Will you help me tomorrow to not be led in that same way? Just simple practices of daily engaging with God's rule, like kind of a, engaging with a coach uh, if we're a... If we're in a, if we're a sports, um, if we're a, 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 a player of sports, what's the word? How do you say that? Sports person. Um, they they check in with their coach. They check in with what they're doing, their lifestyle, what they're eating, what they're how they're uh, how they're training. Uh, we're daily checking in with our rabbi about how we're how we're living according to his rule. This is the way that we can uh, fulfill our call as royal priests, playing our part in taking the world somewhere, being agents of his good kingdom. Um, Where are you planted? What's the environment that you're planted in, in which you might be called by God to exercise that kind of gentle or or less gentle authority, the the places that you're called to maybe set a temperature for God? Are there things... 
oh, hello, don't think for me. <laughs> are, there, are there things that you feel called to that you're not in, in that environment at the moment, but maybe you feel called to a particular area of, of work or influence, whether it be media or politics or um, culture or, um, I don't know, novel writing um, or in sports or business? Are there areas that you're in now or the areas that you feel called to be in the future that you think God might be calling you to set some sort of uh, influence for him? And secondly, what are the kingdom of God things that you'd like to see in your area of influence? Maybe it's a culture of encouragement, a culture of integrity, uh, a culture of hope, a culture of creativity, the things of God that you want to see in the place where you're planted.